invite you to turn with me once again to that book, uh, and in particular to the third chapter of 1 Samuel, page 227 in the uh, Blue Bibles, if you'd like to look in those. You may find it uh, easier today to look at the bulletins because I will be referring a couple of times within the sermon itself to uh, verses on the front of the bulletin and then the New Testament reading uh, that we had as well. So you might at least want to have that handy. Uh, a warning for you for next week. Not a warning. <laughs> That's said the wrong way. Uh, a favor to ask you for next week. Next week I'm going to be preaching on chapters 4, 5, and 6 of First Samuel. We've taken our time through these initial chapters, as is often the case in the beginning of a book or the beginning of a letter, you've got a very densely compacted section that kind of introduces you to what is uh, coming. But in chapters four through six, we have a narrative that has a lot of cohesion within those chapters. There's, there's a lot of interesting stories in them. Obviously, we won't be uh, reading it all uh, next Sunday. And so I want to tell you that so that perhaps next Saturday or even next Sunday morning, you can go ahead and read those three chapters and I'll just do a few highlights from them uh, in our service next week. So four through six next week, but uh, chapter three in its entirety today. As I read this portion of God's word for us, remember that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what this word that I'm reading for us now is all about. The living word of God, may it do that work within us today. 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, out at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever 
for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The prophetic word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that we can hear it and thank you that it's been preserved for us so that now we can consider together and, and sit together under the prophetic word, looking for you through this word to instruct us, to speak to us. And that's what we ask that you would do to us today. Lord, we pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts so that we can hear you speaking to us today through your word, and understand that this is the word of God doing its work in our lives. Jesus, eternal word of the Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. It is, I think, difficult for us to try to imagine what life would be like without our Bibles. What if you had no Bibles? It's difficult to imagine, but for a moment, let's just try. Let's just do the exercise mentally for a moment. Try to imagine what your life would be like without the Word of God. Without, for example, the Psalms. Without the Proverbs to give you wisdom along the way. What would your life be like without the Pauline letters that frame for so much of our understanding of God? What would your life be like without the Gospels, if you didn't have the stories of Jesus Christ, if you didn't have these things written down so that you could open up and read them and hear about them, what would your life be like without the Word of God? Tough to imagine, but at least when we look at a text like the one that we've got before us today, where it says in the very first verse, and the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. We need to try to imagine it a little bit, to enter into that world and to say, what would it be like to live in a time where the word of God was rare? Now, in terms of the written word of God, let's, let's do a visual here for a moment. In this is not exact. But in terms of the written word of God, we would have had at most um, this much, right? Okay, so this is the rest of the Bible. We would have had at this point this much of the Word of God, and of course, rest assured that none of us would have owned a copy of it. 
right? It would have existed. We would have heard about it. Uh, we would hear the stories communicated along the way, but none of us would have a copy of that small portion of the Word of God. Now, you might think, well, that's okay, because back in those days, God spoke to people. And you might even be tempted to think, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great if I could hear the word of the Lord just speaking to me in the same kind of way that Samuel did in the middle of the night? But we need to remember about that idea as well, that even the Lord speaking to people, though it seems to us that that happened all the time, it did not. We're covering amazing amounts of time in these early pages of scripture, and we're getting very select episodes of how God would speak to an individual. Our text today, then, is not only the story of how a young man hears the call of God and responds, it is that. It's a delightful story about hearing that portion of it and watching Samuel. But it is also the inauguration of a new epoch in the history of the people of God. It is the inauguration of the time of the prophets, of the office of prophet, of the expansion, even the explosion of the prophetic word in this period, again, this is, this is not exact, I'm just grabbing uh, representatively here. In this time then, in the next few hundred years of Israel's history, we're going to have this amount of revelation that is given to us written down because of the establishment of the prophetic word of the Lord in the midst of his people. Now, to be sure, there were prophets before Samuel, right? Samuel was not the first prophet that there ever was. Uh, think, for example, obvious example is Moses, right? And we can think of other examples of prophets who had come before Moses. Uh, we looked at Judges uh, a few years back. Deborah, we can think about Deborah as a prophet. Or we don't even have to go that far back. We can just go back to the passage last week that we looked at and see that there was a man of God who came to Samuel and who declared this word of the Lord to him. So Samuel was not the first of God's prophets, but those prophets were sporadic at best. And now we are establishing this prophetic word in the midst of the people. And I'm calling it the prophetic word. That comes from the verse that's on the front of your bulletins this morning. Uh, where Peter writes in 2 Peter, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to us than it ever has been. So as we look at this text today, what I want us to consider is the call of the prophet and then the word of the prophet and then responding to the prophetic word. Okay, so we'll begin with uh, the call of the prophet with this colorful and wonderful story of Samuel's calling to be a prophet. Now, these may not pop into your head right away, but if you took some time even later today or just in thought to think about the various examples of a prophetic calling 
that we have in Scripture. It's, it's a great exercise to see the similarities in them, the reactions of the various people to them, and how God works uniquely and carefully with each one of them. For example, think of Moses and the burning bush. Think of Elisha and how Elijah calls him into the ministry and throws his cloak over top of him as he's going by. You can think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, and we can see all of the unique and wonderful ways that God calls these men into the office of prophet. And Samuel's call is bright and intriguing as well as we look at this section of scripture. It's almost comical in the contrast that we see here, in the confusion that exists within the passage itself. The voice of the Lord calls to Samuel at a time when, to say it bluntly, people aren't used to the voice of the Lord calling to anybody. So, nobody knows what's happening. Eli doesn't know what's happening. Samuel doesn't know what's happening. This hasn't happened to him before. I don't think it actually takes much imagination for us to appreciate the confusion that is going on at this particular point. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that is set up here. Uh, it's a time when there is, as it's recorded for us in verse 1, no frequent vision. No, no, the word of God is rare, and there's no frequent vision. You had a priest who had bad eyesight. Verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, and it was at night. That's why the lamp hadn't gone out and both of them are still laying down because it is at night. It's dark. It's dark. And, and that's kind of symbolic in this whole thing. And it's ironic with what we find even again, once again, in, in the verse on the front of your bulletin from Second Peter, where it says the idea of the prophetic word is that it is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star shines. So we've got for us here physically a situation in which the prophetic call is coming in the midst of darkness. Darkness and dim eyesight. And all of these things allow us to see that, wait a minute, something else is happening here. That these are real things that are taking place. It is dark outside. Eli is getting old and he can't see very well. But there's a spiritual aspect to this as well. And God is going to speak into it. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring light into the midst of the darkness by the establishment of uh, a prophet in the midst. So this prophetic call, it comes in darkness, and as happens in darkness, there's confusion and this great back and forth that we see between Samuel and Eli. That is, until it dawns on Eli, uh, Ray, I threw that pun in there just for you. It dawns on Eli that, wait a minute, this is, this is probably Yahweh that is calling to you, Eli, and you need to be able to respond to Yahweh in the right way. And so Eli provides him with the instructions what to say at that time. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And, and, and so let's take it on two levels here. On the one level, what we see in this passage is the Lord speaking to Samuel, Samuel 
who he's going to rise up, raise up as a prophet, one who will declare the word of God. But in, and this is where I think we can glean from this passage as well, in the kind of response that we see from Samuel to this call, we get a hint of how all of us should respond to the word of God as it is spoken to us. How many times did you hear, for example, in this section, here I am, here I am, here I am. Now, in and of itself, if it were just this story, maybe we'd let that go and not highlight it, but it is so repetitive in the Old Testament that you've got to see what's taking place here. So, uh, just, just to take one example, and I'll read it specifically for you, Genesis chapter 22, which is the chapter where uh, Abraham is offering, is going to be called to offer Isaac, we read it this way, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is spoken to by God from the burning bush, God will say, Moses, Moses. And the response is, here I am. Think of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am. And Samuel in this setting as well. Here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I think there's an incredible picture for us here of sensitivity to the word of God, of openness to the word of God in our lives, a presentation of ourselves before the word of God to say, here I am, Lord, speak for your servant hears. I am ready in this statement by saying, here I am. There is a willingness that is here. There's a submission that is here. There's a yieldedness in these words here. Prepared to hear the word of God and to respond to the word of God, in particular for Samuel, the call that has been given to him. Let me tell you how this worked out in, uh, in my own life. It wasn't this passage in particular, but it is exactly this principle that is the reason that I'm standing before you today. I recognize uh, that for all of you in this room, save one person uh, who's known me since I was 15. Uh, so for all of you in this room, the only way that you have ever known me is as a pastor and as a missionary, right? That's, that's it. Beyond that, you, you, have no, you have no concept of who I, let's put it this way, was. But it wasn't always like that. And I, when I became a believer, had heard of things like missionaries and certainly knew of the idea of pastors, but honestly wanted no part of that life. That was not interesting to me. It did not seem like a call to me. And I was one who, at least in terms of mission, prayed, Lord, don't send me anywhere. I'm sorry if I've told this story before. But in any case, the prayer that I think I consciously made was, Lord, don't send me anywhere where they don't like to dance and don't like Motown and aren't preppy. So those were all the requirements I had if God sent me anywhere. That was what I wanted. And what the Lord challenged me with through the ministry of the word, through the preaching of the word at a particular church, was not that I was, certainly not that I was prophetically called, or certainly not that I was called to one particular place or one particular type of ministry, but that 
regardless of any particular calling, I was unwilling. I was not willing to yield to the call of God, whatever that might be. And I think one of the things here that we can glean from this passage, looking at the way Samuel responds to this, is a call for us to have our hearts, our lives, in the posture of yielding to God. To even come into this place saying, as we come into it, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let me, let me hear and let me do what you would have me to do. So let's look back now to Samuel on this specific calling to the prophetic office. The prophetic call, the prophetic office, is, of course, one of hearing from God, or perhaps in the case of a vision of both seeing and hearing from God, and then communicating directly, speaking the word of the Lord to his people. And of course, this speech that Samuel will do is then inspired speech from God. God breathed speech, which is not to say that the, the speaking of a prophet is inspirational, but it is to say that it is from God directly in the words of the, first, the second Peter passage, for no prophecy, and this includes all that Samuel will say in his life and in this chapter as well, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Listen, Samuel, if he was producing a prophecy spoken from his own will, he wouldn't have come up with the one that he had to speak to Eli. It was men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit who spoke then the words of God as they were instructed. And thus Israel is and becomes a people of the word, a people of the book, because Yahweh had called to them and Yahweh had spoken through prophets to the people. And that is why in our New Testament reading this morning, we read as Peter addressed the men of Israel who were gathered at that particular day, who were listening to him, he referred to them as sons of the prophets. That's who you are. You're, you are a people who have been birthed by the prophetic word of God. Your fathers, yes, Abraham uh, is your father, but you are a people who exist because God has prophetically spoken out his word into this world and has given birth to you, a nation, through that prophetic word. As much as we rightly and appropriately understand the book of 1 Samuel as being the book in which the monarchy is established, the kingship, the office of king is established in Israel, we do well to also realize, to not forget from last week, that we're looking for the establishment of the faithful priest, right? I will raise up a priest for you, and the establishment of the office of prophet in Israel. And that is what is taking place in our passage today. The word of the Lord had been rare in those days, and now God has set up an office through which his people will come to understand his will and his ways in this world. Which leads us to the second step in this passage. Those who are prophetically called 
speak the prophetic word to people. They communicate the will of Yahweh. Now, that communication may be, as obviously is the case in our passage this morning, the communication they may give is sometimes that of dreadful judgment. And that's what we've talked about. I'm not even going to talk about it today because we spent so much time on it over the last two weeks. But the message that he has to communicate is dreadful judgment uh, that is given. The prophetic word then may be a judgment, it may be warning, it may be communication of the law of God. The prophets can communicate to Israel the will of God for the people of God in any particular situation. The prophets may communicate encouragement, promises to the people of God, a promise of help or a promise of deliverance. But in every case, it is the communication of the word of God. And that's what's being emphasized in our text today in verse 18, where after his trepidation, understandable trepidation at communicating this message and having then heard the threat that comes to him from Eli, Samuel communicates the content of the vision, the content of the prophecy to Eli, and it says that Samuel told him everything, and that everything is literally Samuel told him all of the words. All of the words that God had spoken, Samuel told to Eli, because that's what prophets do. They declare to the people of God the word of God. And this idea then becomes prominent in the rest of our text today. Just look with me at the, the final few verses of it from 19 uh, even to the first part of chapter 4. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. This is the establishment of the word. This is the test of a prophet. Do those words take place or not? And those, that, that's actually an idiom there. He let none of the words fall to the ground. We found it earlier in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, it sounded like this. Not one word of all of the good promises, that's actually good words originally, of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. Which in Joshua is a testimony that, listen, all of the promises, all of the things that God has communicated to us, they all came to pass. Not one of those words fell to the ground, and that's what's being said about Samuel here and his establishment. None of those words fell to the ground. You continue on, verse 20. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that is from, from north to south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. The fact that things took place and were confirmed by the word that Samuel said in the events that then took place was the confirmation, was the establishment of him as a prophet in Israel and for Israel. We continue on to 21. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord coming to Samuel, his prophet, was not a one-off. It was not a thing that happened one time and then he set it aside. Instead, it was a regular occurrence for Samuel to receive the word of the Lord. And then as chapter 4 kicks off, 
and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. See, at that point, the word of the Lord and the words that Samuel have spoke, speaks have come into such continuity with one another that we can read that the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Israel's faith and our faith is word-centric. It is word-based. It is word-saturated. And so the prophet and the prophetic word precede and prepare the way for the coming of the king. The king will come, but prior to the king coming is the establishment of this office. This herald is here to declare the coming of the king. I've tried to point this out along the way so that we can also see this when we come into the New Testament because the exact same pattern is being followed in the New Testament. That the, the prophet, the last prophet, is raised up in John the Baptist, and he is greatest of those born among women, declaring and preparing the way for the king to come into the world. The prophet helps us to understand the event that is about to take place, the king coming into the world, and then interpret that and understand what is taking place in it also. And therefore, what takes place in Acts chapter 3, I'm sorry, I know this is, uh, this is dense in a lot of ways, but when Peter is speaking to the Israelites in Acts chapter 3, what he is trying to help them to see is that as God has raised up prophets, starting with, what does he say, starting with Samuel, as God has raised up prophets, Peter helps them to see the sumum bonum, the, the, the furthest end, that to which all of the prophets were pointing, both in their office as prophets and in the message that they proclaimed. That's what Peter's trying to help them to see. Sons of the prophets, you've got to understand what has been said to you over the millennia. The office of prophets, in other words, the prophets themselves, anticipate and prepare humanity for the great prophet. And here's where it doubles on itself, uh, so that the one who is the king now also is the prophet as well. So Peter picks up and he says, listen, this is the fulfillment. This Jesus whom you crucified, he is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Moses, the great prophet, gave to you. Namely, that one from amongst your midst, a prophet from amongst your midst, from you will be raised up. The one who has always been the eternal word of God, who in time became flesh and bore in his flesh the exact radiance, the exact representation of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature as he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's from Hebrews chapter 1. In and of himself then, every single prophet, Moses, Samuel, and onward, typified the prophet who was to come, typified Jesus, the great prophet who was to come. But in addition to that, in addition to typifying Jesus in the way that they declared the will, the, 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 the being of a prophet, they also did it in their words, in the message that they proclaimed. 
what Paul calls the message of salvation that the prophets proclaimed. And Peter says, all of the prophets from Samuel onward, if you understand the message of the prophets in their totality, what they are prophesying to you is the coming of the Christ. What they are prophesying to you is that the Christ must come, he must suffer and die, and then be raised up for his people. He must endure the penalty for his people's sin. And that's what is said in this passage as well. That the times, and, and, and what's the point of all of this? That the times of refreshment and restoration and blessing might come, this prophetic word has been given to us with the call to repent and believe. The point of the prophetic word, Peter says, zooming it out now and collecting all the prophets up together, is it's proclaimed that we might avoid destruction. The destruction exemplified in Eli and his household and find instead refreshment and blessing. So how then are we to respond to the prophetic word? What are we supposed to do in response to the prophetic word as it is proclaimed? In our passage today, we see two examples of how to respond to the word of God as it is spoken. The first we've already spoken a little bit about, and that is Samuel. We see Samuel embrace his calling as a prophet and then declare the word of the Lord. And of course, the second example of hearing this prophetic word is found in Eli himself. His comment is a little bit more complicated than we might take it at first glance. When Eli hears the words that Samuel speaks to him, he responds in this way by saying, well, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Now, that may sound pious because, after all, the message that he proclaimed was a dire message. Right? It didn't seem to have a lot of hope contained within that message. But then again, there have been other similar messages from God. Think, for example, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Think, for example, after the golden calf. I am going to destroy this people. I'm going to wipe them out. And the servants of the Lord in those cases take time to hear that and then, functioning in a priest-like way, take time to intercede. Even though they've heard the dire words from God, they take time to intercede on behalf of those upon whom that judgment was to fall. And when we realize that, when we see that example, then we look at Eli and this maybe pious response, and we go, okay, but maybe his response here is more characteristic of a heart that is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin instead of one that is softened by a proper responding to the word of God. Those are the examples within our text this morning. But what of us? What of us who, in the words of Peter, hear the prophetic word made more sure, 
we have, let's just say this as we periodically do, we have more access to the prophetic word, to the word of God revealed, than has any generation in history. Now, there's a danger to that. We have more words, period. More access to any word than any generation in history. But we have more access to this prophetic word that has been made more sure. We, who are at this very moment, and I'm using we here. I, I recognize that I, I have to fulfill two positions here at the same time. We who at this very moment are sitting underneath of the prophetic word declared in our midst, God speaking to his people. This is the setting of the corporate worship of God, wherein he has established his offices and his ordinances for the building up of the people of God in the household of faith. What is taking place right now, and I'm under this as much as I'm saying it, is that God is declaring his word. I'm not a prophet. Don't misunderstand that. But the prophetic word is made more sure, and it's made more available all throughout the world because we have the word of God, and we have those whom he's appointed within the structures, the institution that he has made declaring to us the word of God. We are sitting at the moment under the word of God declared. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? Every Sunday we come to this place and hear the word of God declared. May we first of all hear the words of the prophets. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. It is possible for you to be sitting in this room right now with a hardened heart. A heart that has grown dull to the things of God, to the preaching of the word of God. And you just hear. Do not harden your hearts. For those of you who are here today and you have not believed the main message of the scriptures of the prophets, namely that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There is one and only one call for you from this text today, and it is the prophetic call, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God who is able to save you. May today be the day. For those of you who are here, who have become neglectful, lazy, ambivalent about the living character of the word of God, may today be a day of renewal for you. For those of you who are here and you've become accustomed to being a hearer of the word only and not a doer. For those of you who are here and you're here because it's a pattern or you're here because it's what your family does or you're here and you'd hope to hear an articulate presentation of something. But if you go home and your pattern 
is to not think about what you have heard in the preached word of God, in the worship of God, not to think about that for the rest of the week and to just come back next week looking for another articulate thing. If that's your pattern, may today be a day of renewal for you. To all of us, regardless of the circumstance in which you find yourself, when you come today and when you come every Sunday to this place, can you hear the voice of God calling your name? That's the way he works. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Peter, Matthew, Levi, all of them. He calls us by name. What he is saying to you today is not, did you like the sermon or not? Did it come together well or not? He's got your name on his lips looking for you to hear this message. Hear the prophetic warning. The warning of the destruction, but the pleading for each of us to hear and to do the word of God that times of refreshment may come. This is the living word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It looks like a book. Uh, mine's got soft covers, so even though it's a big, relatively heavy book, I don't think it could actually hurt you. It doesn't look dangerous. In fact, it doesn't look like it would offer you much protection either. It looks like a book. It's a sword. It's a sword designed to pierce into your soul by the empowerment of Almighty God whose word it is. It is the prophetic word of God, and it is wielded by a rider on a white horse whose name is the word of God. May it pierce us. May it pierce us on a regular basis unto life. May we be not hard, but yielded and pliable before the word of God. May we come to this place, to our encounter with the word of God, with the words of Samuel. Here I am. Lord, what would you have for me? Here I am. Father, we pray that that would be the disposition of our hearts. We all confess, the preacher confesses, along with the congregation, that that's not always the way we come into worship. And that's not always the way that we handle your word. And that's not always the way we handle the preaching of your word in the context of public worship. And we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that familiarity would not breed contempt within us, but would instead engender love, tenderness, and sensitivity. Lord, help each one of us to yield unto you, to hear the calling, and then to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Here we are, Lord, your people, each of us. Do the work that you will through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.